If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet are of the utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here's your host, Brian Bailey. Greetings, everyone. Uh, sorry for the delay there. We had a little technical difficulties on both ends here. But uh, today, we're going to be talking about jumping. I mean, who doesn't have to deal with jumping? Uh, so the title of the show is You Say Jump, I Say How High. It actually sounds like a show for husbands because that's <laughs> what we do all the time. Uh, but back to dogs anyway. Uh, first of all, uh, any apologies for my voice? Uh, again, I am now getting over another cold, so I'm going to struggle through this thing and get through this radio show. After all, the show must go on. Uh, joining me in the studio is my wife, Kira. She just, uh, I just said how high. She just gave me a little hand signal there, and so I'm jumping. <laughs> and then over here's Joshua. He knows exactly what I'm talking about because I've heard his wife tell him uh, how high, and I saw that board jump. <laughs> I didn't know you had that. Such good vertical ups there. Okay, so back to the show about dogs jumping. My gosh. Uh, we're going to be referring to a study that was done, and this study was done uh, at the Department of Animal Morphology and Physiology and Genetics at the Mendel University in Zemodelska, Czechoslovakia. So say that three times fast. And the study uh, talks about that in some period of lives, in their lives, more than 90% of dogs jump on their household members when entering the home. You know, I would say that's a low number. I totally agree with you. That is the number one complaint people have when they call and talk to me. Absolutely. Jumping is a real problem. Children, seniors, or disabled adults are knocked over by jumping dogs. Children and adults that are fearful of dogs are traumatized by dogs jumping on them. I know that for a fact because I deal with these people and they, they won't even go to homes in which there's a dog that they know will jump on them. Uh, they they won't even visit. Family members will actually stay away. Yeah, I can't mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times clients will say, "Yeah, people don't even come over to my house anymore because the dog is so jumpy and and scares them." So it's a, it's a huge issue just having company over to your house with it. Yeah, you know, and it's an issue that people have so often, so much that they that is considered the number one problem for most dog owners is jumping. I golly, I mean, I. I can't even meet a client for any sort of obedience that at least one of the topics doesn't evolve around jumping. Yeah. It's always a problem. Uh, you know, dogs jump on you. They rip your clothing. They rip your skin. You know, it's a real problem that dog owners do seek help stopping more so than they do in preventing dog aggression. Um, it's just really a, a real problem. So anyway, this study was done, uh, again, by the Department of Animal Morphology, Physiology, and Genetics over in Czechoslovakia. And they set out to find that they state that little is known about the factors influencing this behavior. The aim of the study was to assess whether in some period of their life, the dogs jumped on people in five different contexts, on their household members entering their house, Strangers entering the house when the dogs permanently lived, household members during walks, strangers during walks, and household members in veterinary settings before a medical examination. So I just wanted to find out, you know, they're, they're giving it a fact that dogs do indeed jump. They do. Uh, and again, they refer to why do dogs jump? You know, I put this out there for years and years, just having observations of wolf cubs and uh, they say in canine communication, a dog licking another dog's muzzle is begging for food. The same behavior was observed in free-ranging wolves. When wolf pups beg for food, they lick the muzzle of adults. Based on this behavior, they receive frequent regurgitations from all pack members. That's how they get baby food. They go from mom's milk to licking muzzles till all their adult teeth are in at roughly about six months. And now they are ready to eat meat and be able to chew that meat and swallow it. And at that point there, boy, there's a huge and immediate turn of grace. Uh, I mean, all grace is dialed back right then and there. As soon as the six months rolls by, these adults, if you jump on me, I'm going to pin you right to the ground. Uh, 
So it's, it's something that's really interesting to watch because that literally happens in one day. In one day's time, they are jumping, 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 regurgitate, regurgitate. But then all of a sudden, boom, now you're being pinned to the ground. You know, and, and when you see these studies and read them and, and they're everywhere, I tell everyone that the fact that dogs evolve from wolves and they still share intrinsic mechanisms, they still share behaviors with wolves. Nothing evolves all of a sudden without prior antecedents. All existing behavioral traits tap into pre-existing processes and structures. And that's a fact. That's an absolute fact. But again, um, I guess because of that very thing, and so many people don't want to believe that, we are the proverbial wooden block. In other words, when people feel like they need to take out their frustration because they don't believe in the fact that dogs evolve from wolves and they don't believe that dogs still share those intrinsic mechanisms with wolves, then they decide that they need to chew on us as an outlet for their frustration. And just this last week, we had someone post on an ad that we're running uh, for this ultimate dog summit that we're about to have that Kira will tell you about at the end of the show. It's really cool. Uh, but we're running ads for it. And someone posted on there, another arrogant, ignorant trainer still pushing the wolf thing. I don't understand what their problem is with the wolf thing. The wolf thing helps you understand where your dog came from and explain some of these things that so many people think, where did that come from? I don't understand. Well, I, I think I focused more on the how are you arrogant, ignorant at the same time? Or did you just go around <laughs> boasting about how stupid you are? Hey, I'm stupid, man. I am like the most stupidest person in the whole wide world. I'm more stupid than you. Anything stupid you can do, I can do even more stupid. Uh, <laughs> That's a good one. It's Yeah. I mean, how do you get to be in both these people? I swear, they, they don't run it. Do they have a thesaurus and they just go in there and they go, how many adjectives can I throw out there? How many labels? can I assign to Brian? Uh, so again, I am arrogant, ignorant at the same time, and I'm still pushing that wolf thing. Good Lord, that's, what is the wolf thing? I don't know. What am I pushing? Am I pushing the wolf's butt? Am I pushing on his, grab his tail? I mean, what am I doing here? It's just crazy. But again, I just love it because these studies that involve scientists all day long, they always refer back to wolf behavior. So, guys, uh, that's the main reason why dogs do jump is they're trying to achieve a head-level status with us. They're trying to get to our faces. And because dogs, domestic dogs, depend upon humans for their food, that's exactly what's happening here is they are jumping, trying to get to our heads so that we will feed them. Not necessarily regurgitate, although that has been documented. That has been, meaning when infants, or, or I wouldn't say infants, uh, at the age in which they're crawling on the floor, these young children have grabbed the faces of dogs. And at that point there, the dog did regurgitate into that little child's face. And for some of them, they're open mouth. Okay. Uh, I wonder if they thought that was baby than nope. better than the baby food that they were getting. But there's a... <laughs> That's really gross. <laughs> well, it, it happens. I'm just telling you the truth again. And we have to pay attention to this because the study did. And what they did is based upon this, they solicited the help of several people. Now, a lot of dog owners, uh, over 42 owners with their dogs voluntarily participated in this study, although this was a physical study in which they entered a home and the scientists were able to observe the dogs jumping on them. They also took them for walks and they set up strangers approaching them, so on and so forth. Many different scenarios because they were looking for the which of the five behaviors in that context did dogs jump the most? And um, it was very interesting here because when you get down to the end of the conclusion, they said dogs jumped more on their household members entering the house and during walks than on strangers. Now, that now just know this. A lot of people are probably thinking, well, if you only have one person come to your house per year and that happens to be the government census worker who's trying to see if you live there or not, then, yeah, I get it. Yeah, of course, my dog's going to jump on me more. But no, in this study, they set up their frequency so that they matched. They had every bit of, every, as many strangers entering the home as they did the household members. And the dogs, of course, jumped on the household members more. Uh, they also noticed that simultaneously, the dogs jumped on the household members and strangers entering the house more commonly 
than on walks. So again, they encountered people while they were walking on purpose in this test, and they stopped and they wanted to see if the dogs would jump on the stranger or jump on their owners. And they found that on walks, they actually jumped less uh, than what they did when the household members uh, entered. Uh, but again, this goes back to the sense that out in the wild, and again, drawing that relationship from dog back to wolf and wolf to dog, the adult members, how do you think they get the food that they need to regurgitate? They leave and then they come back. Uh, we humans, when we own dogs, most of us leave at some point. Whether you work out of your home or not, it really doesn't matter. You're going to leave. You have to go get your own groceries and get your own food and things of that sort. So you leave the home and you return. You're mimicking wolf-like behavior. And when you come back, they want food. You know, dogs don't have a satiation sensor that like we have as humans that say, wait, am I full? Most of them, when free fed, it has been determined that most will eat what they need to eat for their own energy supply. But if they feel that they have offspring or if there's other pack members that they need to feed, now they will consume the entire bag or if they had a previous uh, or the entire bowl, whatever you leave out. And many of them will break into the pantry and consume an entire bag of food, 25 pounds. But the vessel, the wolf's body acts as a vessel. So they go out, they hunt, they ingest up to 40, 50 pounds of meat. And when they travel back, their stomach is breaking that down. And then when the pups jump up, the young cubs do, lick them in the face, they will regurgitate to feed them. Well, this behavior carries over in our dogs, guys, so much so that they said that they believe that dogs were not interested really in jumping on people, but they only need to get close to their face. And here was the nugget of this whole study, finding out how often do dogs jump on, in what context do they jump on people the most. So this, this study was about seven pages long. I finally got to the very end of it. And I said, oh, I was rewarded. <laughs> I was rewarded handsomely for digging through this study because it was, I'm going to admit, it was very tedious. I already kind of knew the answer. But I just wanted to see if someone through their scientific study could affirm what I've been saying for decades. But here's the nugget. <laughs> this is, uh, again, dogs are probably not interested. I'm not quoting this straight from the findings. Dogs are probably not interested in jumping on people, but they only need to get close to their face. This is also supported by the fact that when owners stood upright, with their back to their dog immediately after entering the house, the dogs ran around their owner and jump, jumped on the front side of, of his or her body. Bingo. Thank you so much. That's the nugget right there. That is the, that is the hit the lottery. Because what do we hear all the time, guys, from about some other trainers? Again, guys, this is my job. It is to challenge you, and your job is to challenge me. Again, albeit, do it very professionally, not call me ignorant, arrogant. But there is training advice that is doled out that says this. When your dog jumps on you, turn your back and ignore your dog. That's the number one piece of advice they get. I mean, yes. Amazing. Now, I understand where they, I think they are, but... Here's where I, my thinking goes on that line, because we're going to talk about here real quick how to really make jumping go away. But with all behaviors, every behavior that a dog does, every behavior you do, they, that behavior is first run through a cost versus benefit analysis. What's the benefit? Well, it cost me to achieve the benefit. So anytime you can not have any benefit, remove the benefit from the equation. If there's only cost, the behavior go away. So they got it half right. You're trying to go for what's called an extinction module where you remove all benefit, you remove all reinforcers. But here's the problem with an extinction type model. Any, any reinforcer that is giving, no matter how little, how little, 
you will immediately resurrect the behavior again. So extinctions have to require exactly that, the absolute absence of any reinforcer. So merely looking down at your dog for some dogs is enough to reinforce the behavior. So again, turning your back and ignoring, I understand you're not trying to reinforce the dog jumping on you. You're thinking that if you ignore them, but the problem is they're smart. They simply just run around to the front side until you keep turning and turning and twist yourself right into your carpet and disappear, disappear or you go into a corner somewhere and put your nose in the corner. Now, isn't that a funny thought there? You know, here's your dog driving you into a corner. You have to apply a cost. If you want jumping to go away, yes, remove any benefit associated with jumping and apply a cost. Again, if they're smart enough to run around to the front side, they are smart enough to understand that, hey, pause on human trying to get to their face, no matter what is bad, then that behavior will go away. So what I advise that you do is if a dog jumps on you that you know, now again, let's start off with your own personal dog. Um, you do this to a strange dog, some dog who doesn't know you. You're out on the street, you're on a sidewalk, and a strange dog jumps on you, and you very forcefully push the dog off. Well, that could, that could turn out to be a bad scenario in which the dog immediately interprets that as an attack to it, and it immediately uh, evokes self-defense aggression and attacks you back. The, that's the job of the dog's owner is to immediately yank the dog off of you. And I do mean immediately. But if you are working with your own dog, again, they said that more dogs jumped on their household members returning after a short or long absence, then that means there's a high likelihood this could happen to you. When it does, take your two hands. So get ready for this, guys. If you got the grocery bags or the briefcase or the backpack, set it down real quickly open the door when the dog jumps off. So come up with a word, an auditory signal where you use off. Some people just say, no, knock it off, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't really don't care as long as it's stereotyped, as long as you use it all the time. Then take your two hands and push the dog off of you and then immediately go about your business. Now know this, back to my wolves. They utilize what is known as ritualized aggression. They ritualize it. Meaning I'll start with a stare, maybe I'll stand taunt, maybe I'll stick my tail up in the air, my eyes will narrow, so on and so forth. And I will keep escalating the signal and escalating my aggression until you say uncle. So me, I walk in, my dog jumps on me, I take my two hands so I can control my movements, I can control my actions, so I don't shove the dog through the darn sheetrock. I just say, hey, off, and push firmly the dog hits the ground, go about your business right then. If the dog jumps on you again, if you started with your personal level one, go to your personal level two. Give that a shot. So maybe you change your voice. Maybe you push a little harder. Dog jumps on you again. Guys, that's, if they could talk, they'd go, okay, uh, if this was meant to stop me from jumping on you, I'm really hungry and I really need you to regurgitate something. So you're going to need to use a little bit more than that. So then keep dialing it up, level one, level two, level three, level four, until finally you will hit pay dirt. And when you do, remember that. So the next time you enter your home, you don't start at level one. You go immediately to that level four, to the level that worked. Now, the other mistake that is doled out uh, is this. Okay, so I push you off. Your paws land on the ground. Now people say, oh, that's when you give them a treat. So they learn paws on human, bad, paws on ground, good. Here's the problem. You just introduced a benefit to the entire scenario. Remember, we talk about giving rewards or giving corrections. They must be given instantaneously within a couple of seconds of the behavior. So the dog will associate the two together. Anything outside that few seconds is a high likelihood they may not make the correct pairing, the correct association. So here he goes. Dog jumps off. Okay, how long does it take the dog to land back on the ground? Quarter of a second. 
and bingo, here comes the reward. So you just introduced a benefit. And now here's what you turn into, a vending machine. Yep, I jump on you. Yeah, I get pushed off. But you know what? The benefit is worth the cost. And it perpetuates itself because now you push harder and I jump harder. And I'm just going to keep doing it. It's no different than going up to a soda machine and you got your last 50 cents and you're dying of thirst. You put your money in and you hit the Coke and it doesn't give you Coke. So you go, dang, I don't want Diet Coke. So I hit Diet Coke. It doesn't give you Diet Coke either. You keep going down the line. That's what mammals do. If they want something bad enough, they don't give up on it. They just keep trying to get it. So guys, if there's no benefit and only a cost, kind of like biting a porcupine, no benefit, all cost. Wolves do that one time and they never do it again for the rest of their lives. That's how you make jumping go away. Now, if you want to introduce that benefit, here's the benefit, dog, keeping your paws on the ground, period, period. So now if I come home, you walk up to me, you don't jump, bingo, there's your reward right then. So there was never, ever going to be any benefit associated with jumping. If you do that, I promise you, this will go away. Now, of course, the other scenario is if you have company over. Well, first of all, if you don't like the company, don't do anything. <laughs> it's a good way. Like when your mother-in-law comes over, then you can just, hey, dog, I'm sorry, I'm working on it. But He's a slow learner. He's really slow. It could take about a year to make this go away. No, uh, in all seriousness, put your dog on a leash. Don't make your company do what I just told you to do. Because again, we don't want to be pushing dogs off of us if we don't know the dog. Because you have no history. You have no predictive information. This animal could take that gesture from you as, again, an attempt by you to attack it. And next thing you know, it's on a leash, flight option's gone, so I'm going to resort to the fight option. So don't do that. You as the owner, when the dog jumps off, you pull the dog off the person, obeying the same rule, level one, level two, level three, and it will go away. So, you know, that's the biggest thing. The other thing that they, in the discussion, at any time any of these findings come out, their peers, meaning other scientists, will immediately enter into a discussion. They will challenge the findings and they will say, do we need to go deeper into this? Do we not? Here's what I think. Here's what you found out, so on and so forth. And they also found out that another possible explanation for dogs jumping on people, again, again, it's not so much jumping as I'm just trying to get to your vertical face, is they had some of these owners come in and bend over at the torso. So they kind of crouched. They bent over. When they did this, the dogs did not jump on their bodies. They just elevated themselves high enough to lick the face. Um, so again, the context, uh, they, their belief is that these dogs simply want to get to the face. But another reason for is that these are highly social creatures. And when dogs greet dogs, they do greet on both ends. They'll greet around the face because there are scent glands. Wolves still have scent glands underneath their eyes, right underneath the zygomatic bone in their cheeks. That helps uh, other wolves to positively identify them. Then they will move from that, because those scent glands are not as active as the scent glands that are found in the genital area. So though you'll watch your dog, you'll now move to the back end of another dog, and a wolf will move back to the other end of the wolf, because wolves still have at the base of their tails, right there where the tail meets the torso of the body, is what's called a supracaudal scent gland. Very powerful scent gland. In fact, it is activated when the wolf immediately forcefully raises its tail. Uh, but again, that kind of went away with genetic drift with dogs and part of the evolutionary process. But again, the behavior is the last thing to go away. We can make dogs, make wolves look like pugs and they can look like boxers. But inside, it's the behavior is the last thing to ever go away because it's bounced off that mitochondrial DNA, which is the everything. You cannot separate behavior from biology. So those are the two reasons why dogs jump. Hey, regurgitate and B, I want to positively identify who you are. And that's really important. You know, when you think about hierarchies, it's really important if you, you got to know who the heck is it that's approaching me? 
who is that person? Is that, do I know this person? Yeah, again, predictive information allows you to have control, so on and so forth. But um, dang, I've been talking a lot. You guys haven't said the I thing. think what I got most out of this is, yeah. you know, the, the dog is going to jump on you whether you ignore it or not. We know how to make the dog stop jumping, but ultimately we should just walk into our houses on all fours, right? That would solve it, right? Yeah. Would I be walking or crawling? Crawling. Crawling. Yeah, just splint, <laughs> yeah. splint fur yeah. here, just splint right. a little fur, that's all. Uh, yeah, that's, that would definitely solve the problem. And of course, you know, I didn't bother. Remember, this study is very long. And I didn't want to bore everyone with all the little bitty details. But they did find out that guess what? Believe it or not, large dogs like Great Danes and Mastiffs did not jump small dogs did. Good Lord, they're already head level with most people. Mm -hmm. Why do you need to jump? And plus, there's a lot of weight I got to pull up in the air here. But they did as puppies, just as soon as they became more, reached their full stature physically and their height, there just wasn't a need. So again, that's another thing that dogs don't do. They don't waste energy. They don't do behaviors that really have no benefit. So again, why do I jump? Why do I burn all these calories jumping when I can just simply lick them in the face? Because they will no doubt, these humans will no doubt bend over and give me a kiss, which gives me that opportunity to go ahead and lick their face. Uh, but, you know, just to, I think the neat things you hit them all on the head, Joshua, is, you know, keep in mind, your dogs have no clue that you're going to be a lifelong benefactor and they're always hungry. And we, they depend upon us fully for their food. They really do. And therefore, every time we return, that survival instinct, the one shaped and forged by the law of limited resources, says, feed me. Please provide for me life-sustaining energy. And wow, that's why they're not in our lifetimes anyway, will there ever be the dogs that never attempt to jump on upright standing humans. And that won't go away. And that'd probably be a good 50,000 years from now before that goes away. Because it always goes slow. All right, guys, um, I'm going to reach out here to our engineers and I'm going to ask them, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a short break because I need to get some water down my throat here. I'm struggling here trying to talk. I apologize for that. But uh, Josh, Orion, engineers back there, we're going to go ahead and take a short break here. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. And then we do, we have some questions to answer. And these are good ones today. They're always good. So always. we'll see you guys back in just a couple of minutes. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. After years of waiting, there's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, this show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
You're listening to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. To reach the program today, send an email to brian at tamingthewild.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everyone, I got a drink of water. Horses recharged and ready to go. Hey, we were talking about jumping before we took a break there. And I want to point out something that I scrolled right by. And thank you, Kira, very much for bringing it to my attention. Tomorrow is Halloween. This is not the time to practice jumping on people. It is, no, do not. I have always advised when it comes to Halloween, put your dog up. Put it up. Don't practice anything. Don't practice stay. Don't practice going to the door. Sit down. Do nothing. Put your dog up. Halloween only comes around once a year, and that's really dependent upon whether the weather cooperates or not. So, guys, it's not worth it. Remember, everything that we do, we run on a cost versus benefit analysis. The benefit of your dog acting perfectly fine when ghoulish creatures and it shows up at your door, no, not worth it. The cost can be so great. These animals can become so traumatized that, again, this is what I do. I deal with that type of damage. Please do me a favor if you're listening to the show. Do not let your dog go to the door with the trick-or-treaters. If you've gotten away with in the past and everything's fine, then ignore that. But those of you who, wow, this is the first Halloween you're going to experience with your dog, put it up. It'll be fine. Just go put it in another room. It's only going to last a few hours. It'll be over. Yeah, just, just don't do it. Okay? So I'm not going to spend all day talking about that. Trust me, I've been doing this a long time. And I deal with the consequences of those who ignore that advice. All right, Kira, let's get right to some questions here. Tell me, what do we have? Good deal. Okay. So we have a question from Margie. Margie bought our obedience training accelerator, which is our video training tutorial for basic obedience. Um, And she's been using that with her 10-month-old German shepherd named Precious that she adopted about a month ago. And Precious is doing great with all of her obedience but Margie continues to have a problem with precious play biting and she really wants it to stop. So she's asking, can she use the remote training collar to stop the play biting? If so, how? If not, what should she do? She's tried shaking a can full of pennies, a squirt bottle and redirecting, but nothing is working. Okay. Um, first of all, the remote collar can be used, but here's what we have to do. Anytime you use a remote training collar, proper pairing is always a concern, meaning animals do make association, especially if it happens to be a haptic signal, they make a very quick association. Again, you know, you run your fingers across a hot stove, all of a sudden you're burned, then you look at the stove, that's the source that you immediately associate the pain with, with the stove. So proper pairing is always a concern with remote collar use. So here's what I would do. Always come up with multiple singles, meaning don't just use one single. Uh, Because why? It's darn near impossible to do that anyway. Dogs take in much, tons of information trying to sort out what is it that you mean. So me, I'm going to come up with a word. Again, I use out. Use, drop it, leave it, whatever you wish. And that word I will keep, that is a stereotype signal, but that is my auditory signal. And I'm going to work use that word for anything that is in the dog's mouth that I do not desire to be in there, including me, including play biting. Yes, I love to play with dogs, but when I'm done, I'm done. And that's the way it needs to be. And again, that goes back to that wolf thing. When these older wolves are done, they're done. That's part of life, and it's called a stable hierarchy. So me, I'm going to come up with the word out. Two, if I do use my remote collar, all it is is a haptic signal. So you can either yank on a dog, you can push a dog off, all these sort of things. Those are all haptic signals. Well, just use an electronic one because now it definitely won't be misinterpreted as a game. Because again, if you already have play biting, then that means the animal's in play. And remember about three episodes back, we talked about play and there is no such thing as pure play with your dog anyway. If they're playing with you and they're play biting, then they're testing. 
they're testing, they're probing you, finding out, are you weak? If you are, when are you weak? What time of the day are you weak? What actions of yours are weak? They do this. It's natural. Don't be afraid. It's just, it is what it is. So me, I really don't want to do anything that could be misinterpreted by the dog as even more aggressive play. So therefore, that's why I love the remote collar fork. Just make sure that until we have the proper pairing with that word, we start off at an irritant level. So what does an irritant level look like? Enough to immediately have the dog stop the biting and then look around and go, okay, what the heck was that? What was that? Okay, excuse me. Let's go back to playing. And then all of a sudden, out, you press the button again, dog stops and looks around and goes, what was that? What the heck was that? You know, same thing when they have something in their mouth. You say, out, you press the button, they spit it out, they look around, what the heck was that? And now they pick up the object again. That is an, more of an irritant level. And you'll be able to start low and achieve the same efficacy at a low level in the beginning because you have the element of surprise. But again, like anything, once they learn it, they go, okay, I don't know what that is, but it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Just like the jumping. Here we go. We start turning it up until every single time. What the heck was that? Okay, uh, wait a minute. That time, that was a wee bit uncomfortable. Now we've got it. So by doing that, that's going to take probably about two or three days and you have set out. And again, use it for everything, not just play biting on you. Anything your dog grabs with its mouth, mulch, rocks, I don't care. Use it for that as well because you're trying to associate that haptic signal with that auditory signal. So the two are now called a, a compound signal with the end result, the response of letting go of something out of my mouth. Once the dog shows that I'm getting it, meaning you say out and you go to press the button, but it's already coming out, bingo, you're there. Now, you are clear to go as high on the collar as necessary to immediately stop the undesired behavior biting on me to now releasing. And again, as dogs get accustomed to this haptic signal, they harden to it. I mean, good Lord, Josh, every dog that we ever train, and we do a lot of training with remote callers, uh, a lot of demand for that nowadays. Thank goodness people have come to their senses. I mean, we'll start off at a level, I swear, I can't feel on my eyeball. No, yeah. I, how the dog feels, I have no clue. But then after two weeks goes by, hey, we've climbed up about 30 notches. And the dog's going, I can handle that like an all-day sucker. Yeah, and they can. They get, once they become used to it, they harden to it. So be ready to do that as well. But uh, that's how I do it. Number one, come up with a word, an auditory signal. Start off at an irritant level until the haptic signal is paired with the auditory, which are then both of those are paired with the response, the correct response. And now you can turn it up. And I'm telling you what, it'll never enter into a game. You know, all of a sudden, wow, let's just get it on. Now it's WWF. Um, mm -hmm. Let's just keep on wrestling here. Captain can spit something out of his mouth faster than anything I have ever seen in my life. Oh, I, told I don't you, know I, how he does it. I don't know if it was the last radio show or the one before that, but no, we talked about that. When, remember, we talked to Connie out because he's a Siberian Husky and he's not really intelligent. Uh, it just is what it is. I, I'm sure some Siberian Huskies are smart, but he isn't. And, uh, but he's we, beautiful. He's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So he makes up for it. You know, <laughs> nature gave him something to compensate <laughs> for the other lack other thing maybe he's arrogant ignorant i don't know because he's a <laughs> he could be he's a handsome he really boy. could be but yeah we yell out to takani and there's a dull light bulb but here's captain over here poop poop he's spitting i mean there's not he didn't have anything he just there he goes he whatever was in his mouth whether his hair from licking or water it's out there now Guys, that's called a conditioned response, a fixed action pattern. And I'm telling you, wow, that's a beautiful thing. I swear, it is so it is so good. And we got that by that remote training caller. Yeah, man, we don't have to worry about it. I've never taken him to the veterinarian and had an Apple TV remote pulled off his stomach or anything. No. Nope. No way. All right, I think we got time for another one. Let's do it. Okay, so this question came from Stephanie, and she says, when I picked my dog up from a board and train program, the trainer told me to never leave my dog's place cot down on the floor all the time. She said to only put it down when I'm working the command place, but I don't understand why. Well, first of all, it's a tool. 
you know, by the time if you picked up your dog from a board and train program, there's already trained to place for you, then those trainers have already gone through several steps. Uh, they're using a mat or a place cop for the reason to be what we call a continual signal to the dog. For instance, I tell a dog to lay down and then stay on the carpet, on the grass, on the linoleum, you name it, doesn't matter. I leave. I come back after a little bit because they don't have the benefit of a TV to watch, the internet to surf, you know, book to read. They do what nature tells them to do. Hey, go to your happy place and then go to sleep. And when they wake up, do not count on them remembering, because again, that, that cognitive train, that, that chain there was severed when they fell asleep and went into stage one, two, three, or four. And don't count on them waking up and remembering what they were doing. They've tested humans with much higher cognition and they can't remember. So the, they wake up and they go, uh, was I in a stay? No, they don't do that at all. They're gone. They're after that food bowl. They're running to jump on someone walking in the house, so on and so forth. But that mat, that cot is a signal. It's a haptic and visual signal. Now they wake up and go, oh, darn, I'm still on the darn matter to cut. <laughs> so hence how it works for a long period of time. So that's why it's huge, just to be a continual signal. The One other reason is, is that you don't want to leave the mat out. If you're working with the mat as place and stay, you don't want to leave the mat out so the dog can just get up on it and off of it how often they want. I mean, it's not the replacement of a dog bed because if they do fall asleep on it, and then wake back up and they've been getting up on it and off of it without your, without your permission, then what's any different than since you told them stay 30 minutes ago? Yeah. You, you know, one of those other steps is uh, to draw significance to what this means. It means when you're on this, you don't leave this until you receive a signal from me that allows you to do so. So, you know, if, if you could, if you were a dog, about the first 10 times you put a dog on a mat or a place cotton, you say place and stay, they're going to walk right off of it. They're going to step off of it and you're going to say no and go put them back. So again, about number 10, if most dogs could talk, they would ask you a question. They would say, they would ask, um, so what's up with the cot? Uh, I don't know if I got the memo. So what's up with this darn cot here? Because they don't know. And you're saying to them back, uh, you're not supposed to leave it. And so therefore, the cot soon becomes a tool and you are trying to draw significance to it. We even go to the length of teaching a dog, hey dog, it's not even so much where you are, it's what you're on. So in other words, that matter, that cot is taken outside, front yard, backyard, to the cafe, you name it. It is a tool like a leash. So therefore, it has significance. It is only on the ground when I intend to put you on it. And when I put you on it, you remain on it until I take you off of it. But if we leave it laying on the ground and the dog, like you said, Joshua, is able to willy-nilly just go get on there and get off when it wants to, then the mat itself or the cot has lost its significance with regard to doing place or stay. Yeah, and you, you would also want to make sure that, you know, by staying consistent of when I tell you to get up there, I, I'm going to make sure that you, I'm going to reinforce that you stay up there. And then I put it up when I'm not able to watch you on it. You, you will get to a point in which that you can leave it on the ground, but you'll just look at the dog one day sitting on the mat and you'll say, come over here, buddy. And he's going to go, uh, no, you didn't free me. Yeah. You know, I tell people once you've been in this, you've been training this just again, depends on how often you make your dog do this behavior in a day. But at some point, it's the word place that makes you stay where you are. Uh, at that point there, you, now you can put your dog up on a picnic table. You can put it on a park bench. You can put it on an ottoman in your house. It really doesn't matter. You just tell the dog to hop up there and say place, and now it's the word. Uh, I remember that time with Captain uh, we, we left his cot down because he understood that it was the word place that meant do it. But because you, there's always this thing called conceptual distance between the referent and the signal, and I'm not going to go down that road, but just trust me, it's there. You will have dogs sometimes 
put themselves in place. And I was headed to work and had my lunch bag and my Yeti and all the stuff I carry with me, my satchel. I get to the garage door and I told Captain, he was laying on his cot as I walked by. I said, let's go, buddy. We're going to work. And I get to the garage door. And no Captain. So I turn around and look way down the hallway and there he is on his cot. And I go, oh, God, now I have to go all the way back. He was being and a I, good boy. He was being a good boy. And I have to go back and I have to do the complex single, which is we, it's three parts that we do. You return to the dog, you take control of the dog, and you tell the dog free, and they're three separate parts. So I had to go back, I had to bend over, grab him by his fur. My Yeti is spilling the contents of <laughs> all over him in the cot. And I finally said free, and he hopped off, and we were able to go to work. You know, when your dog gets to that level, then that cot can stay on the ground, but do know this, every now and then, they will be in a self-imposed place. <laughs> <laughs> and now you have to go and again, keep drawing significance to it by getting them off of it properly. Yeah. So I hope that helps. I hope that helps to answer that question. If you're just new to teaching a behavior called place or using a mat as a continual signal, make sure in the beginning, probably about the first month or so that you're doing the training, do pull it up off the floor, put it in a closet, lean against the wall. That is a tool just like a leash. And I tell you what, Oh, you're going to love that behavior. That is one of the That's favorite That's everybody's favorite, yes. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't? I mean, that allows you to have a dog at a distance and go, man, you sure look good over there. <laughs> I sure do like you. And Hey, and it, it does eventually preempt the jumping. Yeah. So, I love when people walk in our house and go, man, those are nice dogs you have over there. Over there. You bet. Yep. We have two more questions, but I don't think we're going to get to both of them. Okay. We'll get to one at least. Okay. So this is from Robin. She says, I had a baby three weeks ago and I've been keeping my baby and my dog separate. How do I go about introducing them and keeping everyone safe? Oh, well, first of all, congratulations. Um, okay. Uh, there's some concerns here. One, remember anything novel? I'm as an animal, anything novel, anything new, I immediately search out the rules of predictive information and control. So when you bring this new baby to your home, things change. They just do. And again, some parents are lucky. We have a good friend of ours named Paul. If you're listening, Paul, yeah, I hate you for it. But anyway, he brought home a baby and that baby sleeps all night long. So there is none just getting up at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning at, at their household, but most people do. That immediately will throw your dog into a bit of sorts. What the heck is going on here? What is that that came into my house and... What are you doing up at 2 a.m.? We're, we're never up at 2 a.m. Remember, I'm a dog. I thrive on the familiar. So when that, that now starts to mobilize your dog's stress response and all sorts of things start happening from there. So I've always advised people, when you first bring a child home, make sure you safeguard the child from the dog. So she's doing great by keeping them separated. Uh, I always do that. You trust me, they will smell that baby, okay? Babies just have their own odor. They're going to smell them. They're going to hear them. They're going to see some movement, but they need time to get used to what is this? I mean, you don't look like a puppy. I mean, again, look at these young babies. They don't crawl across the floor right off the bat. So they don't resemble anything like a puppy. Puppies are crawling around at two weeks. I mean, they're already on their feet and moving about a little bit there. Uh, wolf cubs certainly are, even though they're blind, they're, they're traveling everywhere, bumping into walls and everything. So, you know, it's a good thing that she did keep them apart until the dog accepts this new child, starts to recognize it for what it is. And even if I don't know what it is, it doesn't just jump out of mom's arms and attack me. So you got to get past that acceptance period first. Okay, so now we're past that. How do we introduce? Well, you know, you just went through this, Joshua. What did you do? Well, I, I broke... I broke it down by senses. So obviously, like you said, that dog's going to smell the baby, period. Um, then we went with sight uh, separation with like a baby gate and allowed the dog to observe dogs uh, observe through a baby gate of us doing our normal stuff. Um, I will also say that we did some preemptive stuff by by running the dog through all these behaviors before the baby came on board. So that routine style stuff wasn't new when the baby came on board. But anyways, um, so I broke it down by senses. You smell it first, you see it. And still to this day, we, I mean, my son's two now and, and even physical contact to this day is still very, 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 very much controlled. And there was no, absolutely no physical contact 
um, for the first eight months of his life. Yeah, it's just good advice. You know, let them see, let them hear just any sort of contact at all. You've got to remember initial success or total failure. Uh, anytime a child is close enough for your dog to touch it or your, your child to touch a dog, you're in a critical zone. A lot of heavy decisions in life are made in that zone. Me, I'm going to let the introduction happen just kind of naturally over time and never leave your child unsupervised around any dog. Ever do that. So, I, you know, I, and I guess in a roundabout way, we answer that question. You've got to feel it a little bit. You've got to watch your dog. You know your dog. You're the owner. You can tell when your dog is irritated, agitated, and so on and so forth. I let them smell. I just don't see where my child needs to be laying on top of a dog or whatever. Again, the cost is just far outweighs the benefit. Just give it time. Let this child grow up. And then we'll talk about that more on another radio show called this thing called the principle of resemblance and where it gets to be a little bit dangerous. But we'll talk about that then. All right, Kira, we've only got about a minute or so left on the show. So I want you to talk about the ultimate dog owner. You got Summit. it. So for the past 10 months, Brian and I've been working with a team to create this ultimate dog owner summit. And we have had the honor and privilege to meet some of the most knowledgeable and passionate people in the pet industry through our preparation for this virtual summit. And it's going to launch on November 11th at noon central time. And all you have to do to come is just register for free. It's free. It's release of interviews, four days of interviews. Go to the ultimatedogsummit.com or tamingthewild.com and you can register right there on our website. But it is going to be incredible. Yeah, it's in there right there on our homepage with a yeah. countdown button. It says uh, register for free. Yeah. Like Kira said, man, these are incredible. Every single interview, what did I say multiple times? I never knew that. I learned so much. Yeah, yeah remember, I'm the arrogant but I guess the I'm ignorant, ignorant. Yeah, I'm the ignorant, yeah. arrogant guy here. I was amazed. It was so much fun. And the passion these people have. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, amen. Love the passion. So, guys, uh, register for free. Hop on there and just just check it out. Just, just give it a shot. This is something we've been working on a long time. And we, you know, all these years of being with clients, we get asked so many questions. We want to be able to put these questions out there like, Big scale, not just we here locally. Had them answered, everyone. We everyone. Did. Yep. All right, guys, tomorrow's Halloween. Put your dogs up. Do me a favor, put them up. And next week, we're going to be talking about a hot topic here. If your puppy, your new puppy, cries in its kennel, do you go let it out or do you not? We're going to cover that in great detail next week. Till then, be safe and put your dogs up one last time. All right, have a great week, guys. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild and Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it.